Now let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 95, it's page 357 of the Psalter, and uh, it's at the beginning of uh, the song. O come, let us sing to the Lord, come let us everyone a joyful noise make to the rock of our salvation, let us before his presence come. With praise and thankful voice, let us sing psalms to him with grace and make a joyful noise. We'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we pray that as we come before you this night, that any sense of arrogance and any sense of independence that so often so plague our lives would not be a part of what we are doing this evening. We pray that we would come with reverence and godly fear and on our knees before the Lord, our Maker, let us fall. We thank you for many, many blessings. We thank you this night for the blessing of family. We thank you for the addition of new life to this congregation. Bless Amy and Nathan and bless the little one who has been born into this world. Bless all our children, born and unborn. And help us to bring them up in the fear and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. 
And when we falter and fail, may we show them what it is to come to the Lord, confessing our sins and repenting of our sins, and asking him afresh to have mercy upon us. We pray this night for the family of uh, the late Ella MacDonald. Be a blessing to them as they reflect on a mother and a grandmother. We pray that they would listen to your voice to them in the event of her passing. May they all flee to you as Saviour. We remember this night also the family of the late Sheila MacLeod, formerly Sheila MacFacher. Bless them as they mourn the passing of a wife and a mother and a sister and sister-in-law aunt. Be with them at this time of sadness. We remember also the passing of Donna Taylor's granny. Remember that family, we pray, and cause them to trust in you and to hide under the shadow of your wing. Remember others who have been bereft, some in recent days and some long ago, some who are in a tunnel of darkness that seems to have no light at the end whatsoever. Give strength and encouragement, we pray, to those who, to all intents and purposes, are down and out. O Lord, our God, we pray that you would remember each and every one of us represented here this night and indeed our loved ones wherever they might be we think of some of this congregation who are going to bid farewell to their loved ones to the other side of the world in coming days and there is a pang in that we remember others who have experienced loved ones going off to college to university to traineeships, to apprenticeships in recent times and there is a there is a pain in that a healthy and wholesome pain um, when loved ones leave home for the first time but we pray that you'd be with our loved ones wherever they might be and that you would protect them from the enemy of our souls wherever they go on life's journey may they remember you and may parents and grandparents and indeed may we as a congregational family remember one another and pray for one another <clears throat> each and every day we remember the Reverend Neil Shaw at this time help him we pray and his family in the difficulty that they face. Be a blessing to them. We remember Anella from along the road there. Help her as well. And indeed any others who are ailing or who are unwell. We pray that for those who are waiting for results or diagnosis. That you would uh, be an encouragement to them. And indeed that you would be a blessing to them. We thank you this day <clears throat> that you have been merciful towards us and you have showered us with blessings and it was, it was good for us to hear this day of someone who has been used mightily by you and yet we are told was so disorganized and getting on and off the wrong buses and such like and that is so true to life for each and every one of us we pray that we wouldn't listen to the enemy of our souls as he tells us that our gifts are of no use to the Lord and that our attempts are pretty much failures 
we realize that we're all failures in one way or another. We realize that the Lord uses earthen vessels in his great work in this world. And so we pray that we would each remember this, that our days and years are numbered. And the opportunity we have to use whatever talents we might have is limited. And so we pray that we put our hand to the plough and by the grace of God do what we can do whilst we have time and opportunity to do it. Please come in with us this evening and enable us to worship you in a God-honouring way. Bless us and enable us to worship in spirit and in truth. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> now let's <coughs> sing again to God's praise in Psalm number 34. It's found on page 40 of the Psalter, Psalm 34, at the beginning of the song. At all times I will bless the Lord. I'll praise him with my voice. Because I glory in the Lord, let troubled souls rejoice. We'll sing verses 1 to 7 of Psalm 34. At all times I will bless the Lord. God's word as we find it in the gospel according to St. Luke and at chapter 9. Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 9, and we'll read at verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. They asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. 
And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, and loses or forfeits it himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had uh, seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Amen, and may God bless to us that uh, reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord our God, we have been reading about the failure of the disciples to do something. And we have also been reading about the failure of the disciples to understand what was going on. When Peter asks to have three tents up on the Mount of Transfiguration and for him and others to stay there. We realize that we need to learn of you. These disciples needed to listen to you. Not just to listen to the words that fell from your lips, but to Listen with the enabling of the Spirit of God so that these words became real and living and powerful and effective in their lives. And we need to do the same. 
Sometimes we read your word with an awful air of arrogance. A terrible disposition of indifference. But we pray that you would help us to come in the way that we are meant to come. Come with mouths open wide that they might be filled with the good things of the word of God. That they might become part of the fabric of our being and build us up and enable us to be faithful laborers in the vineyard. We pray, O Lord, that you'd remember us not just as a church at this time, but as a nation. We look around the nations of the world and they seem to be in such disarray. We would ask you to bring down those who are abusing the positions of power that they have. And we would ask for those in leadership who are struggling against a tide of godlessness, that they would be given wisdom and guidance and strength. Help us always to remember that righteousness, it is righteousness that exalts a nation. And so, Lord, as we turn to your word to explore it afresh this night, we ask you to be with us. And we ask you to give us insights that would be God-glorifying and uh, edifying to ourselves. Wherever the church has been gathered across the world this day, may it have known your blessing, even where there are just twos or threes, and indeed sometimes one person all on his own or her own. And we realize that there are situations like that in our country as well. Remember those who are carrying heavy burdens, who are really struggling, O Lord our God, Please help us to operate as a family congregation, to share one another's burdens and to help one another along the way. Give us the wisdom we need to tackle the issues that come up on a day-to-day basis. May we stick close by you and may we be enabled daily by you. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in the same song, Psalm 34, page 40 of the Psalter, it's at verse 8. Come taste and see, the Lord is good, who trusts in him is blessed. Oh fear the Lord, you saints, with need you will not be oppressed. We'll sing verses 8 to 14, come taste and see, the Lord is good.
Now let's turn to the passage we've read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, and we'll read again at verse 35. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. I want to say a little bit about this is my son, and then to say a little bit about my chosen one, and thirdly, the final words of the text, listen to him. My son, my chosen one, listen to him. Now this is an account of what happened, or at least of some of what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. Shortly before Jesus was put on the cross at Calvary, he went up this mount with Peter, James and John, and he was transfigured. In other words, his appearance complained, his, his, his appearance changed completely and utterly. And what was happening on the Mount of Transfiguration was this. God was giving to Jesus a foretaste of the glory that he now has this very night in heaven itself. When Jesus rose from the dead, he visited this earth for at least the land of Israel uh, for 40 days. And then he goes to Bethany and at Bethany he rises up and disappears into uh, the clouds. He returns body and soul to heaven itself and he has entered into the immediate presence of God and that's where he is this very uh, night. You'll remember in the tabernacle and in the temple there were various areas to these um, buildings but uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence, the Shekinah cloud, dwelt above the Ark of the Covenant between the two cherubim, and that was in the Holy of Holies. But the tabernacle and the temple were reflections of what happens in heaven itself. And um, the Lord Jesus Christ is in the immediate presence of God this night in all his glory but a foretaste of that glory was afforded him on the mount of transfiguration now we might well ask well why did God give that to him then and I think the answer is this you know he came into this world and his sojourn in this world was not easy it was a struggle from the word go but that struggle became deeper and darker and greater and more immense as he went on I mean Jesus begins his public ministry at the age of 30 what Jesus experienced prior to the beginning of his public ministry was not the same as what he encountered, the oppositions and the difficulties. You'll remember at his baptism, he's hardly baptized and he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and he is hammered by the enemy of souls. But even after that, it's where we were to put the sufferings of Jesus onto a graph, it would be an upward curve, an upward curve, an upward curve. God knew that. And here is a human being who is suffering, who is suffering greatly and who has insights into an increase in the suffering. Now human beings are human beings. And they need strengthened and they need encouraged. Um, and that's the way it was for Jesus of Nazareth as well. And here is God giving him a great encouragement. 
on the Mount of Transfiguration. And there are many things going on on the Mount of Transfiguration, many amazing things. You know, Peter and James and John are there, but so too is Elijah and Moses. Moses, the representative of the Old Testament law, and Elijah, the representative of Old Testament prophecy, the prophets. And it's, they're all there together. And the subject that's up for discussion is, is the death of Jesus of Nazareth. His departure. And uh, in this passage of scripture, it's very particular in how it it describes the death of Jesus. It's the death that he would accomplish at Jerusalem. He's the only man in the history of the human race who ever has accomplished death. And maybe I could put it another way. He is the only man in the history of the human race who has ever had to accomplish death. And you think, why on earth would someone have to accomplish death? Why on earth would someone have to work at dying? And the answer is because of people like you and I. That's why. Because every last one of us will succumb to death. We will be conquered by it. We will, we will go under before it. We will be deluged by it. And the truth is this. It would swallow us up eternally. We would end up in the place of the second death. We would end up in the lostness of hell. If there wasn't something done for us. To help us in our plight. And that is what Jesus does. That's what he does. He dies in our place and in our stead. He accomplishes. Now it's very interesting that there's a cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because God in the Old Testament times, his representation was in the Shekinah cloud. And I think God is telling us something in that. For example, our kitchen window looks out onto... um, Ben Withers. Some days Ben Withers is there in all its glory. And other days there's no Ben Withers to all intents and purposes. It's enveloped in cloud. So the clouds hide things from us. And I think what God is saying to us is this. There are things about him that are in a cloud. In other words, whatever any of us know about God, it's only ever a limited knowledge of God. It's only ever limited. And here he is on this Mount of Transfiguration, and from this cloud there comes this voice, and when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. But what is it the voice comes out of the cloud says this is this is my son now I think I mentioned this recently and these are not easy things to understand anybody that thinks that they've cracked this nut and they know all this stuff are kidding themselves because there's a great deal of mystery involved. You know, some people will criticize Christians. You believe things that you don't fully understand, as if that was unique to Christianity. That happens to us every day of life, in a thousand and one different things. There isn't a human being on the face of this planet knows exactly how every blade of grass and the lawn out there functions, how it works. We were hearing about a tiny seed recently. And what is packed into that tiny seed is more than the smartest iPhone or iPad or whatever. And nobody, nobody fully understands it. We, we... We bask and we live because the rays of the sun shine onto onto this planet. 
Nobody fully understands. We know a great deal about it. Since the period of the Enlightenment, there has been an absolute explosion in scientific knowledge. And, and that has bred this idea that science is the master. Science is merely observation of the creative work of God. And our understanding of it is, is very, very limited. So this idea that you Christians, you believe in stuff that you don't fully understand. And because of that, I wouldn't have anything of that. I'm a, I'm a lot smarter than that. I'm a person of knowledge and I want to know the ins and outs of everything. And only when I know the ins and outs of everything will I believe it. It simply isn't like that. It simply isn't like that. But one of the things God has revealed to us about this, about himself, is this. And he has a profound mystery. One God, but three persons in the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as far as this fatherhood is concerned, it never, ever, ever has a beginning. So that means the sonship never, ever, ever has a beginning. Now that exhausts our minds. We just cannot fully understand it. We cannot fully take it on board. But we believe it because he has revealed it to us on the pages of scripture. And so eternally father and son are looking in on each other. And they are delighting in each other and they are communing with one another and there is this eternal fellowship with them. But, and I know I shouldn't be using language like this, but I think we've got to use language. At some point there is a decision made to create the universe. Now, the reason that you shouldn't really use this language at some point because that suggests time and in eternity there isn't a thing called time it's, it's eternal uh, but, but we live in time and we live in space and so I guess we have to talk along these, um, along these lines but um, the whole idea of the creation and uh, the implementation of the creation the creation of every last atom and indeed the creation of a human race along with all the other animals to inhabit planet earth but in that whole scheme of things it is known that there is going to be a fall and it's not left It's not left to kind of fix itself or it's not left to the human race to come up with ideas and solutions to it all. It simply isn't like that. But from the word go, there would be a point in time, i.e. 2,022 years ago, when God would take on being a human being. And will be born in the stable in, uh, in Bethlehem. Now let's remember this. The son never ever ceases to be who he was. He has an eternal sonship. And none of that comes to an end. But he does begin to be something that he never was before. He is a single cell initially. The egg from uh, Mary, the Virgin Mary, overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I guess the chromosomes are merged with Mary's chromosomes. It divides into two, the two into four, and the four into eight, and so on and so forth until you have a child being born in the stable in uh, in Bethlehem, and this human being is absolutely human but this human being is also the eternal son divine and human in the one person and this God is saying that this individual who's on the Mount of Transfiguration on this particular day with three of his disciples Peter, James and John and with Elijah and with Moses the eternal God from the cloud is saying 
I am making a statement about who he is. It's not the first time he's made that statement. And it won't be the last time that he'll make that statement. But he is saying, this is my son. But then secondly, he is saying, he is my chosen one. And if you notice beside my chosen one, there's a little two. And the footnote says that in some manuscripts, it says, my beloved. And I think there's an interlinking here because, you know, a young man and a young woman, a young man looks for a, for a partner in life, the young woman looks for a partner in life, and um, eventually they decide on someone that they want to, 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 to spend their lives with, they want to get, to, get, uh, to get married to. Now that person that they will get married to in, uh, in any ordinary circumstance will be somebody that they love and that will be the one person out of everyone else that they will choose that will be their chosen one that will be their beloved and um, and yes there are differences in 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 the manuscripts but um, this beloved is the chosen one and we can turn that around and say this chosen one is beloved is the beloved now, this chosen one, I, I want to say, there's, there's, there's just so much here, you just wonder, well, what am I going to pick out and what am I going to speak out? I just want to say three things about this, uh, this chosen one. And the first thing is this, chosen in eternity. Before there was ever an atom of this universe put together, the fallout of the fall that's going to take place is in the hands of God and is in the hands of a triune God and there is an inter-trinity discussion and God the Father God the Father knows that the redemption of the human race can only take place on the basis of his eternal son becoming a human being it is God the Father who sends into this world his only begotten Son, his beloved Son, his chosen one. But there must be an inter-Trinitarian conversation and the Son must give consideration to what lies out there for him. And all along the way, there is this willingness and a desire on the part of this son to be at one with the will of the father. That's astonishing. You might well say, well, why is that astonishing? Why wouldn't he want to give to his father the honor and the glory of abiding by his will? Well, here's the problem. You and I are the problem. You and I are the problem. It's, it's to save fallen, wretched, depraved sinners such as you and I are that Jesus has to come into this world for. And you think, well, why on earth would he do that for us? Why? And that's part of the great, great mystery we are found in Christ this night we are found in Christ because we love him but we only love him because he first loved us he came into our experience he did and he could only come into our experience because he did something 2022 years ago but it goes a way back much much further than that into the realms of eternity when God is saying we need to redeem and the only way we can redeem is if you take on humanity if you go and become a human being and Jesus says yes I'm more than willing and he does so fully conscious of who it is he's coming to save whilst we were yet sinners Christ died for us that is mind boggling stuff absolutely mind boggling stuff but it is it's the glory of the gospel he's the chosen one back in the realms 
of eternity. He, that's what he's chosen for. But he's chosen also to suffer. And he knew that. He knew that. But you know this. It is one thing to know that you are going to suffer. It is another thing entirely different to be in the thick of it. Now I think the illustration I've used in times past is this. Some of us just do not like going to the dentist. You know, you know you've got to go to the dentist and you put off that phone call. And you, but eventually you, you phone the dentist and you make the appointment and... Well, the dentists aren't as bad as they used to be. I remember going to the school dentist. It was a nightmare. Just a nightmare. And someone would come knocking on the classroom door and, and you were just hoping and hoping it was not your name, it was not your turn, but eventually it was your turn. And off you would go into that big dark green van and, well, you sat in that chair and then you heard that drill and, oh, it was a nightmare. Now the thought of it was, was not nice, but actually going through it is, is, is not nice at a different level. That's exactly the way it is, or was, for Jesus of Nazareth. That is what made Gethsemane what it was. Gethsemane is not the high point of the sufferings of Christ. Gethsemane is Jesus looking around the corner of his life at Golgotha. And it was at Golgotha you get that awesome, fearful cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In his earthly sojourn, he is my father, he is my father. He spends endless hours communicating with his father. But at Golgotha there is no father. To be seen. My God it is. My God why? And in Gethsemane. He's looking round at what lies out there. And uh, that is so very human. Um, knowing that there's suffering out there is different to experiencing the actual uh, sufferings but that's what he was chosen for to be the suffering servant in the words of Isaiah but he was also chosen to be the one who would reign eternally in glory and that's where he is tonight that is where the chosen one is tonight because 40 days after the resurrection, and of course the resurrection takes place wholly and solely because he gave to the Father everything that the Father asked of him. And why did he give to the Father everything that was asked of him? Because he wanted to honour the Father, but there's another way of looking at that. Because what he gives is, he pays the price for your redemption and mine. Why would he do that? Why? The love of Christ towards sinners is unfathomable. It is unfathomable. But tonight he reigns supreme, a human being with nail-pierced hands in the holy of holies before God. And therein lies your security if you're a believer and my security if, my, if I'm a believer. You know... I don't know how it is with yourself. But maybe you're here tonight and you're very, very nervous about yourself. And your confidence is zero. That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. There is nothing more incongruous than an arrogant Christian. A Christian who is full of self. Our security lies in nail-pierced hands in the Holy of Holies this night. He was chosen to do that. Chosen in eternity, chosen to suffer and chosen to reign in glory. But I must move on to the third thing and that is this. 
Listen to him. Pretty simple words, aren't they? These disciples needed so, so much to listen to him. At the foot of the Mount of Transfiguration, there's a child who is absolutely devastated by the enemy of souls, convulsing and foaming in the mouth. And there is Peter and he's saying, Peter thoroughly enjoyed it. We don't blame him for enjoying it. He savoured the blessedness of the moment. But he just wants to stay there up the mount. But there's a fallen world at the foot of the mount. And they need to come down. They need to come down to deal with the fallen world. And this fallen world, the disciples were unable to deal with this child. Why? Because of a lack of faith. Because of a lack of faithfulness. Peter's saying things in that, that mount that he doesn't really know about. What does that tell us about Peter? Uh, Peter needs to learn. Well, who's Peter going to learn from? Listen to him. Listen to him. And that very same Peter is the same Peter who will say to Jesus, you know, Jesus was telling them often, I'm going to Golgotha. He wasn't saying it in, that many, in, in as many words, but he was basically saying that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of the high priests and they are going to crucify him. Again and again and again he's saying that. And Peter is saying, now don't be speaking like that. Don't be speaking like that. And do you remember how Jesus dealt with him? Spade is a spade. No beating about the bush. Get thee behind me, Satan. And I just wonder how often we think that we are being pious and sanctimonious and holy. When in actual fact we're doing the devil's work for him. Because I think that's the way Peter was. There is no way that you are going to have what you're suggesting happen to you. That's not going to happen. Get thee behind me. Get thee behind me. Satan. And of course I mentioned earlier on the 40 days and 40 nights of temptation in the wilderness. And what that was about was this. Satan was going to give a glorious reign to Christ without him having to suffer. Now that was attractive. That was attractive. The sting in the tail was this. God was not going to get the glory that was his due. And you and I were not going to be saved. Going down that avenue. The enemy of souls is exceedingly subtle. And exceedingly evil. And sadly I'm afraid we... Take the bait, hook, line and sinker. Far, far too often. Christ cannot reign supreme in glory this night without going through the avenue of suffering. The devil wants to short circuit the whole suffering scene and promises him a glory without it. He's not interested. He is not interested. Because away back in the realms of eternity he entered into covenant with his eternal father. He was chosen by the father in eternity. Chosen to suffer and chosen to reign supreme. Why then should we not listen to him? And yet, sadly, there isn't a day of our lives go by but we sin and we rebel and that is tantamount to not listening to him because many of the times that we sin we know we are sinning we have two roads ahead of us and we know what one is glorifying to God and we know what one is glorifying to self and we choose the self but that's not the end of it we come in repentance each and every day and we ask him for forgiveness for sins anew and sins afresh. I prayed earlier on this evening for the new life that has been added to this congregation. 
And I said something along the lines about us seeking to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And part of that is to acknowledge we are so flawed. And we falter and fail every living day. And we must be honest with them, uh, with our family circles, because they know us better than anyone else that knows us. They don't know us as well as God knows us, but they know us better than anybody else. And we just have to be honest and say... We have to go to God seeking forgiveness day in, day out. But the blood of Christ cleanseth from all unrighteousness, from all sin. He has done his work and he has done it well. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. May God grant that we would indeed listen on a daily basis to Christ the Lord Amen let's pray O Lord our God please help us as we struggle along life's avenue with so many pressures pains and pangs give us what it takes that will enable us to honour you each and every day and that we pray for all our loved ones as well wherever they might be and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in the same song, Psalm 34. It's page 41 of the Psalter and it's at verse 15. The Lord's eyes are upon the just. He listens to their plea. The wicked he rejects and blots from earth their memory. To the end of the psalm, the Lord's eyes are upon the just. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest on and abide with each one.